Morning, church. It's a blessing uh, to be with you guys this morning. Hang on, Mike, just one second before you leave. Uh, Congratulations to all those who participated in our big 5K run yesterday. Uh, I think Tony Goodwin uh, was our leading person from White's Bay Road here. There were some community runners as well. And I found out this morning that our own Mike Kellett finished first in his age division. And, and he forgot to pick up his medal, so how about that? Present that to Mike. Now, I did find out that he was the only one in his age division. But, but I'll tell you what I told him yesterday, you know, uh, you know, when the Lord died on the cross, he didn't say, I won. He said, it is finished. And that's what I said when I got done with that race. Well, I did find out that Mike, I said, well, I asked Trey, I said, where did Mike finish like in the big, you know, picture? He said, well, he was third from last. And I said, well, Kellett, if... A bear ever gets after you, you want to be with those two people. That's, exactly that, that's where you want to be. So congratulations to Mike. Uh, I just wanted to honor him this morning uh, for being such a fast. And I would just like to ask where Trent and Josh Hudnall were, our resident athletes who didn't show for the race. I mean, y'all be sure to ask them when you see them, by the way. <laughs> I'll kill it. Uh, welcome to White Street Road this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, of course, uh, happy uh, Mother's Day. Uh, to uh, to all of you uh, moms out there and grandmas, and um, to my mom, I want to say happy Mother's Day. It's been a, a tough year for mom, but she's bounced back pretty well. All right. Hang on. a mom yet and so today I want you to realize if uh, if you're in that uh, circumstance that you have a forever family that loves you that's what we're here for is to love on each other uh, and to be there for one another certainly this church has been there for our family and I have to thank our mom as being one of the main reasons why we made it here whenever I go out on the road and speak obviously most of the time it's to people who you know really respect our family they love us they you know, see what we represent in terms of our faith. They love the prayer at the end of the show when it was on. And so I, I always like to show them two pictures of our family. The first picture I show is the one they're all aware of, uh, the one that they love. Show that picture, guys. And this was the last time we filmed together uh, as a family. And it was sort of that moment of said, okay, you know, we're done with this era of our life. And so when, when fans of the show see that, they think, oh, yeah, that's, that's the family I love and the family of faith and generations and legacy and all that that's there, which is true. And we're very honored and humbled to be that family. But then I show them a picture 
of this same family in 1972, whenever things weren't so great, whenever it was just me and Jace and Mom was about to have Willie, and our family was in a downward spiral. We were two years away from getting here where we found help, where we found love, where we found people that supported us. And so this family here couldn't imagine that other family, and especially my mom. I mean, she just knew that she had a, a husband that wasn't a part of our lives and wasn't leading his family, and that things were broken. And so the reason I show that to audiences is because I know there's a lot of families out there that are listening that are going through a divorce or separated or having difficulties or wondering, can I ever get out of this addiction, whatever it is that's going on in their lives. And they begin to think, you know, I just, I just don't have a, a lot of hope that things are going to get better. And I always say, you, just, you don't know what God may be preparing to do for you if you could just have that faith moment to allow him to do what he does best. And that's to grow families into something dynamic for his kingdom. I know because it happened to us. We went from a wandering wilderness to what we considered our Canaan's land. And it was right here in West Monroe, Louisiana. And it wasn't anything about the community or what was going on outside or work. It was about this community that taught us about Jesus and what we needed. Sometimes when you're young and in the weeds, it's hard to see the possibilities of what God can do. Now, today's story that we're going to be talking about <coughs> is about a mom's faith that really, that really saved her family. Um, when you look in, in Luke chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 1, you see both of those uh, early on in the Gospels, Luke and Matthew, they, they wrote out two genealogies of the physical lineage of Jesus. One, as we now know, was Joseph, who wasn't really Jesus' father, but at the same time, you know, in the sense that, that he was there and he, he was, ultimately became his father, his earthly father, even though he didn't father him that it was important that God wanted everyone to know that that came about because I've been talking about this through generations. We get over to Luke chapter 3, we realize that it splits at David through two different sons, but it still winds up with Mary's father, Joseph, his name was as well. And you see two different lineages that show you even both ways God had been planning for Christ throughout all of eternity and throughout all of human history. And so you look into that list, and the one in, in Matthew chapter 1 is interesting because it mentions five different women. Most time when you have a Jewish lineage, it's only the men. And sometimes they'll skip even a generation or two, but they keep the line going. But in, in Matthew 1, <clears throat> there are five women that are mentioned. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, by the way, was a teenage girl and pregnant and not married. Now, we know because we know the story how it happened. But trust me, her community didn't know that at all. We have Bathsheba, of course, uh, Solomon's mother. And the, the way that he ultimately, he, she was married to David when she had Solomon. But you remember, she had an adulterous relationship with David and then lost the child from that union. We have Tamar, who you see in Genesis 28. She, uh, her husband died and her father wouldn't honor and, and released her. And so she wound up having an affair with him to get pregnant with a child to keep the lineage going. Sorted, as it was. That was Judah. Then you had Ruth, who was a righteous and good woman, but she was a foreigner. She was from Moab, which had been cursed by God. But she had married an Israelite man who died. And then, of course, she came back to Israel uh, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
And then you have Rahab, who we're going to be talking about this morning. Rahab is an incredible story, and we don't know a lot about her, just her initial story, but we know that she was a prostitute, the old version say a harlot, and she ran a brothel. Now, a lot of people tried to go back and say, well, that wasn't really, she wasn't really a prostitute, it wasn't really a brothel, she was just an innkeeper. That's nice, because we don't like somebody like this being in the lineage of Christ, but it's just not true. New Testament writers confirmed in two different accounts that she was a prostitute when we run up on her in the Bible. So there's a lot of scandalous grace that's going on in the lineage of Christ. And it's amazing because Matthew decided it was important important to put that into the lineage for people to see. And I think I know why. Let's talk a little bit about Rahab. Her story comes from Joshua 2. And also you pick it up again a little bit in Joshua 6, 22 and 23. And I'll just give you the quick version of it. You remember the, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. Uh, miraculously, God has done amazing things. They've defeated some people along the way. And so now, after 40 years of, you know, finally God conditioning his people, they're ready to go in and take the promised land that's been promised to them for hundreds of years, all the way back to Abraham. Joshua is now the leader. Moses is not there anymore. And so he sends in two spies. He was one of the 12 spy things that didn't work very well. So he sent in two spies to take a look around because he knew now is the time that God was getting ready to take this promised land for Israel. Because he said, I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be my battle, not yours. These two spies go into Jericho, which is kind of the first city that they're going to run into. And when they get in, all of a sudden our story in Joshua turns into sort of a Jason Bourne movie. You know, people are after them. They're trying to get them. The king is inquiring about them. And so they go to this house of prostitution. Now, I don't know why they wound up there. Men on business trips and spy trips, I guess, where they wind up. Maybe they thought that's the last place they would look for them. I don't know. But the king found out about it. And he sends the word to Rahab, who's the young prostitute that's in charge, and says, I want those two guys. Now, when the king issues an order, that's, you know, that's pretty, you, you do it or you die. That's the way it works. So this is a life or death moment for Rahab. And then something very interesting happens to her with these two men. She's heard the stories about what had happened to get Israel just outside their city walls. And she's having a faith moment. She is the only person, as far as we know, in the entire city of Jericho that has decided that these people must be from God. And so she risked her life to hide them and protect them. And she lies to the king, enhancing our spy novel, and says, oh, they ran out. You better go get them because, you know, they just, they're, right, they're that way. And then they go on their way. So she picks a side in this looming war. She turns her fear, and trust me, it's in desperation because she really believes the apocalypse is coming for Jericho, and it is. She believes it. And then she gives Joshua what he needs to rally Israel. She gives a report to the two spies that everybody in this city is afraid of you. Well, that's what they needed to hear. That's what Joshua was waiting to hear. Now is the time for God to move. Rahab had a faith that believes that all things are possible. Here's what she told the two spies in Joshua 2.11. For the Lord your God, the Lord your God, it's not her God yet. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's a faith statement if I ever heard one. 
She's not there yet. She's not willing to say my God yet, but she recognizes that he is God. And therefore, it motivates her to action. Now, I thought about that. You remember from your you know, early Bible class, I hope, how Jer- Jericho went down, right? They come out and God has them march around it for seven straight days. And they don't do anything except just march around it. Give them a little trumpet, and then we're off on our way. Now, at first, I'm sure that was intimidating because they kept thinking, what are they going to do? And I would imagine around day five, it's starting to get comical that all they're doing is just marching around the city. Now, I want you to think about this. Rahab makes a deal with the two spies. They said, you get your family together, and they better go to your house because every other house is going to be destroyed. So for one week... Rahab's mother and father and siblings and nieces and nephews have all come in to camp out at La Hacienda brothel to wait out and see what's going to happen. How many times that week do you think she was asked, are you sure about this? Is this, you, you really think this is going to happen? I mean, that was a week, round and around and around. And then day seven arrives, and they march seven times around. And all of a sudden, the walls fall, and it's over. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That was this woman's faith. And you know she had to defend it for an entire week to her family who thought she might be crazy. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know what's incredible about this young prostitute that saved her family? She gets mentioned later in what I call the Hebrews Hall of Fame. That's pretty amazing. The Hebrew writer said, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And a better word there is un believing they didn't believe no one else acted they just thought this thing would end well for them and they got slaughtered in the process james makes his case for faith and action in james chapter 2 he's talking about abraham first he says what was not our father abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son isaac on the altar you see that his faith and his actions were working together And his faith made complete by what he did. A lot of people have faith and do nothing. James says, that's not good. Your faith should motivate you into action. That's what happened to Rahab. In fact, James will talk about her as well. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. This is what I love about God. We look at people and make our decisions on whether we think that their hearts are faithful or right, and all we have is the actions. I get that. But it doesn't matter what we think because God knows our hearts. He knows when we're looking at him saying, you know what, God, i got nowhere else to go. I'm trusting in you. And that's faith, that risk. See, we have a risk aversion. We say, well, what if, what if I fail? What if I choose the wrong thing? What if I struggle? What if people knew they think I'm strong, but I'm really not, that I'm really struggling big time? 
how would that affect my reputation? Oh, you mean the reputation that's really not true. That's what you mean. You see, Rahab, she didn't hide what she was doing. She didn't hide who she was. She hid the spies because she believed God was about to move. Faith means we come out of hiding. Rahab's faith in God motivated her to save herself and her entire family. What she couldn't possibly imagine, though, is now this would start in motion a legacy of faith in generations that she would be mentioned in the Bible and I would be talking about her on Mother's Day 2018. What an incredible story. That's why Jesus says you first love God, then you do what? You love everybody else. It's here to hear. But faith doesn't keep us in a pew. It keeps us on the move. Today, as we continue to worship, we're calling on all hands on deck to be faithful and to trust in what God has set out for us to do. Let us be faithful, 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 Lord. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. Though we cannot see, we still Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. Let us be faithful. 
Thank you for the day that we will be with you, that we will be complete, that all of our fears will be gone. And that, Father, as we look forward to that day, we do so by faith. We know just the faith of a mustard seed can make great things happen. So we, we trust in you, Father. We trust in you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. We give you glory and we give you honor. In Jesus' name. For me, I was 15 years old and my sister just shy of her 13th birthday. It was September the 11th, 1991, when tragedy struck our family. It was that night that our mother was murdered. And within a week, our father was arrested. And within a year, our father was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the second degree murder of our mom. Pain and tragedy had struck and we had no idea what to do. We were empty and we were broken. It was at that point where we had grief without hope. And it was also during that time that my grandparents moved in with us and introduced us to a church family who loved on us and taught us about grace and mercy. And it was during that time that we accepted Christ as our Savior. At that time in my life, it was only about salvation because I needed hope. So I began to grieve with hope. But I continued to make choices out of what I wanted for my life. I was empty and I was broken. And so all I wanted to do was have somebody to love on me. I met a man who I thought would do those things would be my protector, and he would love me for who I was. But that relationship and that marriage 
ended after abuse and abandonment. So the next choice that I knew was heartache. The pain of those words being spoken over to me that I was worthless and that I was useless. But God, that God of ours, put a blessing in my life. And that was when the motherless became a mother. As I held my boy, Grant, and I looked in his eyes, that breath of life was starting to be breathed back into me. But I still continued to make choices out of that pain. I trusted no one. And so the next man that I found that I thought could love me, I married again. And within a short amount of time, I was divorced again. So Grant, as I looked at him, I saw two men who had walked out on us, left me empty. But I came back to my family here at WFR who continued to extend grace and mercy to a broken, twice-divorced, shame-filled woman. And they continued to teach me about hope. What did I want for my family? What did I want for Grant? You see, they challenged me to step up and to not just be an exception to the things that had happened in my life, but to set a new standard, a standard that would leave a different legacy. But what did that look like, and how did that work? I began to be influenced. And you see, there's a difference in influence and encouragement. Encouragement comes by words, and influence comes by action. And when I began to see the intentional discipleship of the church and these women, they gave me hope for a life and a different legacy. And it was during that time when I became open to the teaching and to the leading of what Christ had called me to be. You see, I hold on to the scripture in Philippians 3. Press on. Don't look back. It's a strain. Press forward to the goal, to the prize. I had to forget about everything that was behind me and press on to what my goal was. And that was eternal life with my creator. And it was during that time that I met my husband, Michael. He taught me about unconditional love. He loved me as I was, not as I should be, which is the same way Christ loves me. And so as I began to live in that lavish love, we were married and we had a daughter. I became a mom to a precious daughter. And looking back and realizing the things that I had missed out on with my mother, I became more intentional in the woman that God was calling me to be. He challenged me and these women challenged me to step up and to be the mom that I did not have to change the legacy that the evil one tried to destroy. God flipped it on its head and said, this is what we're going to do. So as I began to step out and be intentional with my kids, God had another plan for me. And that was to be the woman I am today. To be an encourager, but also to influence by action. To be active in my faith. He calls us to ask, to seek, to knock, to find, to come, to rest. Everything that he has given us is free. That's what Ephesians tells us. It's a free gift. So I accepted that free gift and began to live an intentional relationship. 
to come to him, to ask him, to seek, and to find. And so now he has called me to be a woman, to stand before other women and share my story. I go behind the walls of prisons and tell these women that there is hope, that they have a chance to change. If you still have breath in you, you still have a chance to change. So breathing in and exhale him, that's what I'm able to tell these women. I'm called to go and share at different churches now. It went from children's ministry to youth ministry to women's ministry. If God can take a broken vessel like me and use me to teach and to disciple, that's the legacy I want to leave. Would I give anything to have a cup of coffee with my mother? Whew, absolutely. But would I change the course of anything that has been done in my life? Absolutely not. Because I could not stand here and tell you that I would be the woman that I am without the things that I have gone through and without the influence of a community, of a body who believes and influences every step of the way. Praise God. <clears throat> I was in my second year of being an intern here at WFR in the early days that Mindy described. I was 24 and looked like I was about 16. And um, I remember, and so does Mike, walking through that year, those two weeks during the trial, and then life after. Um, Man, God is good, is he not? What he can do in people's lives. Now to have Mindy and Jerry Ann here being women who show that a legacy is possible when it seemed like all was impossible. And that's really what our lesson is about today. Rahab's faith and her actions set that destiny and that change in action by a faith decision. We don't know much about what happened in terms of individual facts, but I know this, Rahab left that ruined life in the rubble of Jericho and went into the camp of Israel. We know that she left the life of prostitution because she got married to a man named Simon. He was a bit of a dead fish, but other than that, he was a good guy. Sorry. I have Trent's mic. It just happens naturally. She embraced Yahweh. And set a different course and path for her life. Her son or grandson, not quite sure because of some of the way the lineage is done, was a man named Boaz. You might remember him from a book named Ruth. So in essence, she became a mother-in-law to another great woman of faith who was a foreigner. And yet, two or three generations later, King David was born. The greatest king in all of Israel, arguably, Certainly the one that was the most passionate, that God loved his heart so much. One that God made an everlasting covenant with. That Christ would come through him, through his lineage. I'd say Rahab turned out to do a pretty good job when all is said and done. 
whenever the spies made the deal with her, they told her there was something that she had to do. Now, she had already had great response to faith by covering for these spies and doing all the things that she felt led to do. But now God said, I want you to do one thing through these guys. When the day comes, and you'll know when it's coming, and they did, I want you to hang a red scarlet cord out of your window. I think part of that was just the physical marker to identify that this was the family that needed to be saved. You had a lot of soldiers running in and out, and you had a lot of killing going on. But it was also more than that, because this was representative of something very important, especially to the Israelites. You see, part of that was also a spiritual marker. It was a reminder that when God brought them out of Egypt, he did so under a scarlet red door where the blood of a Passover lamb would say, this house lives because of me. And so every Israelite family that killed that little innocent lamb and put that blood on their doorpost were spared when the angel of death went across Egypt on that fateful night. And even though now we're a generation removed from when that happened, all of these people who are there realize the importance of trusting in God when you want to live. It would carry down through time because this was also a forever marker to remind all people that the plan of God was always to save humanity, but not by your actions and not by the blood of a lamb, a sheep, but by the blood of his son, Jesus, the cross of Calvary. It is the ultimate symbol of salvation. And we've seen that it's been there, a crimson gospel, if you were, all across time to show that that's what it takes for you and I to be saved. Rahab, just like all of us, was a person in need of saving. And she had an opportunity to do that because of her faith. That's looked different across the span of time. Today, though, it's the same thing. We look at our lives. We've got things we're not proud of. We have some messes that we're like, God, I don't know what I can do except fall down before you. And he says, don't worry, I got you covered. My son Jesus came to this earth because you could not save yourselves. He offered himself as a divine sacrifice on a cross. He knew that we couldn't get past the grave, that we all face a six-foot hole or an urn somewhere. And he says, I've solved that too. Because Jesus was put into a tomb and raised after three days. He knew that we would sit here today, even as sons and daughters of the Almighty, doubting ourselves because we still sin and make mistakes. So we went back to the right hand of the Father where he says he mediates this morning for you and for me, a representative of humanity in heaven forever. Think about it. A scarlet cord, blood on a lamppost, blood on a door, the blood of Jesus. Salvation's power for any of us. And he said he made a promise to us that he'd come back and gather up his family for all eternity. That's what we have to look forward to when we trust in him and act on that faith. And that's the challenge today. You leave here and you go to the restaurant and see somebody from another church and they say, How was Mother's Day? Oh, it was great. What did the preacher preach on? Rahab. What? But now you know why. Got a lot of Rahabs in here. Some looking back over the legacy of their lives thinking, look at what God did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in my life. 
praise be to him. We got some people in here that the Israelites are marching around and we're like, I don't know if this is real or not. You got to act. You can't hope that the walls won't fall. They will. That's what Satan does. He destroys and he kills and he steals. So if you have no faith or maybe you've just been getting to that point, but you just hadn't made that active move, today's the day. And if you're one of those people that I was certainly there, I preached my cousin's funeral who died in a tragic, terrible way because he could not walk away from opioid. And I felt so helpless for him because I loved him like a brother. And I look at that and I think, man, he just, he could not see past that one thing to see what God could do for him so much better. And if you're there, you're tied up in something that's just like, oh, I can't see past it. See past it. I'm telling you, there's a blessing greater than anything you can ever imagine awaiting you finally giving that to God. And if that's what you need this morning, then that's why you're here Maybe in that desperate salvation place where Rahab found herself in that house. We want your destiny to be sure in Christ. And so we want to give you the opportunity if you need to respond this morning to do that. So why don't you come while we stand, while we sing a song. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood. Wonderful.